Father in heaven, we again thank you that you care so much and you work with your spirit in our hearts and you promise that if we call your presence, you will transform us and give us a new heart, a new mind. We cannot do it, Lord, but we believe that you are able and you will finish what you started. So we trust in you and we thank you. Please be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to give you time for a few questions. Not too many. Nothing that is too much is good. So, yes. About how I study. There were quite a few people who asked me that. First, I need to specify, that's not the rule. How I study is how I study. It's just a suggestion. You see how the Holy Spirit would impress you? and change it and adjust it to your needs is not a written rule. Is it clear? This is just my own experience. Okay, so I used to study three to five chapters a day from the Bible, one from the spirit of prophecy. Is it good or bad? Yeah, it's okay. Huh. Some people beat me, they read 10 chapters a day. And after a while, I realized something very strange. Number one, it became routine, duty. If I don't study, I don't feel good. If I study, I feel good. I did my duty. Like Sabbath. Like, what is the benefit to study if you didn't encounter Christ? What's the benefit to pray if you didn't encounter Christ? What's the benefit to go to church if you didn't encounter, just to do your duty? Pharisees did that. And yet they killed Jesus. Unless you seek God's presence and the knowledge of God and obedience and relationship, your prayer doesn't help you. You understand? You should not pray duty, routine prayers. You should not pray needy prayers. You should pray relationship prayers. There is nothing wrong to present your needs before the Lord as long as you put the Lord before the needs. Hello? You heard me? It is okay to present your needs if you seek first the Lord, not the blessings of the Lord. You follow me? And so, how do, I, how do I study? I realized, number one, that it becomes routine. Number two, I realized that it happens, listen carefully, to read and not remember what I read. Did it ever happen to you? So then, what do I get? Nothing. Just that I did my duty. I studied my three chapters. But I get nothing. There is no growth, there is no victory, there is no change, there is no, no nothing. And so I started to dig deep into how to study. And I started to understand quotations from the Spirit of Prophecy where she says that we should eat it like the bread. Well, when you eat, if I remember right, my grandpa taught me that unless you chew the food, well, you get nothing out of the food. Hello? My grandpa had a saying. What's wrong with this microphone? My grandpa had a saying, the stomach doesn't have teeth. That's what he said. He said, you need to chew it in your mouth. And then when I read the Bible, he says, you need to chew it in your brain. Don't just swallow it. When I listen to a sermon, he says, you need to chew it. Don't just listen to the pastor. I say, why? Oh, I love the pastor, but you need to chew everything. Otherwise, you get nothing. That's what my grandpa used to say. So I started to chew the food. Well, when you chew it, you don't have time to read five chapters. Because then it's going to take you to chew every word about uh, two hours, you know. And so I'm going to give you, people ask me, how, let's suppose you pray three hours. What do you say in three hours? Number one, Ellen White clearly, and I have the quotations, in a different sermon that I was supposed to preach Friday night and I didn't. <laughs> it's called Victory in the Final Crisis. You'll find it on the internet. I have the quotations there. And she says clearly, Prayer and study of the word should always go together. We should never study without prayer and we should never pray without studying. And then in a different quotation, she says, through prayer we talk to God and through study of the word, God talks to us. So for me, prayer is not only prayer, it's study. And study is not only study, it's prayer. They go together. You, first step. Second step. Listen carefully. Instead of reading a lot and getting nothing, I read two, three Bible verses. How much? That's it. That's it. Isn't that something? Only two, three Bible verses. 
hold on, hold your horses, because it's not as simple as you hear. <laughs> After I read two, three Bible verses, I pray over them that the Holy Spirit, that he inspired the verses, would inspire me so I understand what the Holy Spirit meant, not what I think it meant. And after I pray over the verses, I read it again. And then I take each word and ask questions. There is no wrong questions. The more, the better. Unless you ask five, six, seven questions, you didn't ask enough. Sometimes I ask 15, 20 questions. And I pray over it, for instance. What if I was Peter? What if I was a church member and there was a guy at the door of the church paralyzed for 40 years. And every Sabbath and every day and every Wednesday night when I go to prayer meeting and every time we have work be and every single day if I go to church, he's there at the gate. You remember the story. What would I think about him? What does, what does God think about him? Why Peter said get up and walk? Why the church members didn't say it? You follow me? Why only Peter said that? How did they help him? Did they really care? Well, they did because they gave him money. And Peter didn't give him money. Do you really help somebody when you give them money? Because they gave him money every day and he was still a beggar every day. They helped him for today. They didn't help him for the future. You follow me? What if I didn't give him money? Peter says money I don't have. Did he really mean it? Because the tradition says, and the spirit of prophecy says, that all of them paid faithful tithe and, and, and offerings. So Peter must have had at least the tithe and the offerings. And you follow me? Why didn't Peter give him money? By the way, the Greek doesn't say money I don't have. It says money I don't have for this. Basically, I have for something else. You follow me? Why did Peter heal him and the church didn't? Can it be that the church was paralyzed inside while he was paralyzed outside? Because Peter says, what I have, I give you. In Jesus' name, walk. So Peter had Jesus. Why didn't the others give him Jesus? Can it be because they were in the church but they didn't have Jesus? I ask questions. What if the church, when entered the church, exit the church, and they are satisfied with the routine of doing the church services. All the sacrifices, all the worships, all the Sabbath school and camp meetings, all the choir practice and all the... You follow me? They were satisfied with that, but they had no deep personal relationship with God. Did Peter pray before he healed him? It doesn't say. Why not? Because the spirit of prophecy says... Peter was continually walking with God and depending on God. And the Holy Spirit prompted him. So should you pray only in need or all the time so the Holy Spirit could impress you? And I ask, and I ask, and I ask, and I ask, what if I was the paralyzed? And he says, money I don't have. You follow me? What, what about his friends that brought him every day there and took him home? Did they, did they really help? What about him? He got used to be paralyzed. He didn't desire more. He got into the routine. I go there, I beg, I go home. Tuesday, Monday, one year, 10, 20, 40 years. Can it be that we are in a routine and we don't even see that we are paralyzed? And so I ask questions when I study. And after I ask questions, I pray again and read again, and pray again and ask questions and read again. And I read that two Bible verses or that paragraph 10, 15, 20 times. Now let me tell you something key. It doesn't matter if you are smart or not. If you read 15 times two Bible verses, guess what happens? You memorize. Yes? Try it. Trust me. Read two, three Bible verses 20 times and we will talk again. You memorize it. It says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit would remind you what to say. Well, if you memorize, the Holy Spirit can remind you, but if you didn't put anything in, there is nothing to get out. It also says in the Bible, listen carefully, I hide thy word into my heart so I may not sin against you. You remember the Bible verse? And in Hebrew it says, I store thy word into my heart. What does it mean to store God's word into your heart? Memorizing. Well, let me give you another example. 
There was a study. I don't remember the place. I did read it. And so don't ask me right now to tell you what I found it. There, there was a study. There were a, a group of students taken from a medical school. And they were asked to memorize Bible verses. And there was another group of students. They all had straight A's. And they didn't. After about a few months, their IQ was analyzed again. And this increased with, I forgot, the percentage. Another example. My mom, when I was a kid, had me memorize every day, every day of my life, since I know myself, until I went to high school, one Bible verse. I got to the point that I knew whole chapters by memory, including Psalm 119 and including the long chapter, you know, Revelation 3 and Revelation 5, and whole chapters, Psalm 15, and uh, whole chapters from the Bible by memory. I won uncounted competitions. All the youth hated me because all the competitions we had in the church, I won them all because I knew Bible verses by memory. Well, let me guess, tell you what happened. I went to the seminary. The students, it took them six months to learn the manual. I read the manual twice, and I knew it by memory, page by page, word by word. I told the pastor, open it, somewhere in the middle, I don't care. He opened it, I said, tell me the first words. He told the first words, and I recited the whole page. I was in Andrews. We had pastor of psychology. The book was so big, like an encyclopedia. Students learned three months. The night before, I scanned, and I told him, I know the book. I went to the exam, and I knew the book. I got an A, no, no effort. I went to Lexington Church, first meeting we had, 17 people in the board, they in introduced themselves. I'm so-and-so, my name, I have so many children, I work this, blah, blah. next one, next one. When they finished, I said, okay, I'm gonna repeat. You are so-and-so, your name, the name of the children, what you ordered, I repeat it. They were like, did you know us? I said, no, I just memorized what you said. <laughs> you train your muscles, you can train your memory. Do you follow me? And the Bible gives you wisdom. So I memorized the Bible verses. Now let me tell you something else. After you memorize today only two verses, because you read it 15 times. Not a big deal. Tomorrow, two verses. Next day, two verses. Every month, two verses. After one year, how many verses do you have? Over 700. Am I right or wrong? After 10 years, how many do you have? Do you understand what happens? Time goes on. Besides that I read it many times and it gets into my memory, I do something else. After I read the two verses, I go to the spirit of prophecy and read the same story and see what she says about it. And it gives me a new perspective. That takes time. And then, after I read from the spirit of prophecy, I go to Bible commentaries and read the same story and see what, what it says about those verses. And then I go to archaeology, and then I go to Bible works, or I go to Logos. And that's probably not accessible to everyone because those are expensive programs. So I go to Logos, or I go to Bible Wars, and I take each word from those two Bible verses, and I take the translation. How is this word translated in other places in the Bible? See the context, and then understand what it means here. And then I see where in the Bible is used this word, and how is it used? And then I see what was the context of the story, the background, so I understand. I put myself there, because things have changed, words have changed. Hypocrite. Today means really, really bad. In that time, I was an actor. I work, I, I, I'm uh, Angelina Jolie, I'm a hypocrite. What it meant? I'm an actor, an actress. You follow me? Words have changed. For instance, at the cross, it says that the law was nailed on the cross. You remember the Bible verse? Well, it doesn't say so. And they didn't know what it says, so they translated the law. It says the zapis. And that means... Nothing. You go to the dictionary, Greek, and you don't find the word. Why? Because the word has been away, disappeared, abolished, no more, many hundreds of years ago. And if you go in history, you study what that word meant. That word was the certificate of death. Before somebody was executed, they read a paper that was the certificate of death. So and so today, through this decision, ta -da, you know, is condemned to be beheaded. Boo, done. Okay. That certificate of death was nailed on the cross, not the law. And other denomination says the moral law and the Adventists say no, the ceremonial law, neither of them were nailed to the cross. The certificate of death was nailed to the cross. You follow me? And so, I go to the Bible works, and I do the translation from Greek or Hebrew. And after that, I, you, 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 you get the picture. How long does it take to do that? 
Well, let me tell you the good news. If you do that today, you don't have to do the translation. Or you can do something very simple. Take five, six translations. NIV, uh, King James, New American Standard. Doesn't matter if you think they are good or bad. Take five translations. And take one word and see how they are read in English in those translations. And if the word is translated the same, it means that's the translation. If the word is translated different in different translations, it means that the word is translated in four, five, six times, and they don't know which one of the six it is. For instance, for instance, do not lead us into temptations. Other translation, do not let us get into temptation. Another translation, do not draw, draw us into temptation. Other they don't translate the same because they don't know. And the word can be translated in four ways. And the Vulgata, the Catholic Bible, that we have most of the Bibles translated from, it says do not lead us. But the word can be translated, do not lead us, do not let us. Now listen carefully. Draw us to you. And the fourth translation, draw us close because alone we slip into temptation. Now Catholics, to their perspective, that God is rough and you have to do something to pay something to the church or to God, some sacrifices to win his favor, they say do not lead me. But God cannot be tempted to do evil. And so I choose the four way to translate. Keep me close to you because alone I slip into temptation. And so I compare translations. You can do that. You probably don't know Hebrew and Greek and translate, but you can do this. And so you, if you do that, what happens? I'm going to give you the, the nicest part of it. My father had a saying, whatever you remember, you forget. Whatever you write down, you remember. Oh, I had such a good experience, I just don't remember it. Oh, I studied yesterday and I had a thought, an idea. I just don't remember it. Write it down. You don't have to write down a whole episode. Just write five words. This is what happens. When you study and pray and study and pray and check the spirit of prophecy, you are going to dig deeper and deeper into the, the treasure of the world. And as you pray and study, God is going to give you an idea. Wow, I never thought about this. You are going to connect it. Write down that paragraph. Write down that idea. Write down that answered prayer. Write down that experience, that miracle that God did for you. What happens? You write it down. This is how I do it. I have it in my cell phone. I have it in my computer. If, I, if, if the study is about forgiveness, I have a folder on forgiveness. And I just put that nice paragraph or that nice thought into that folder. And tomorrow I study about sanctification. And I have a folder about, about anything I have a folder. About sanctification, about Sabbath, about forgiveness, about second coming, about you name it. And if I get a nice thought, profound, I put it there. After a month, nothing is there. After 10 years, you cannot believe what I have there. Basically, any subject you open, I go to that folder and I have the best Bible verses, the best quotations, the best stories, the best paragraphs, a whole sermon there. Do you understand? It grows like the snowball. It keeps growing, adding in time. So what happens? After a few years of memorizing Bible verses and putting together paragraphs related to one subject, when somebody talks to me, all come back in my brain, and my brain makes connections between this paragraph and that verse, and right away I can give you a sermon on that subject. It adds up. If you really want to get something from your study, don't just read. Take less and do it diligently, profoundly, chew it, digest it, spend time with it. You follow me? Okay, I gave you a little about study. It is God's call, not mine, that we move out of the cities in the last days. It is not for somebody alone or for a group. It's for everybody that wants to protect. Not only, oh, if you have babies, you don't want to raise your babies in the city. It's not only, that's very important, but it's not only for that. If you want, for instance, we know from the Bible that there will be a crisis like never before. It says in Daniel, we know also from Revelation, we, we, we know that there will be a crisis, will be a decree, we know that there will be persecution, we know that people will not be able to buy and to sell, we know this stuff. If you are in the city and you depend on Walmart, and the economy is dropped, what do you do? If you are countryside, you don't have to be far away, and you have a garden and you can't food, I tell you what you do. You eat from the garden, or you come to me and eat my canning. Okay, now let me explain something. 
you have a valid point when you say, what if you don't have the money? That's valid. But I want to remind you that God, when he is asking you to do something, he will provide the means. Basically, if you with honesty put it in prayer and say, Lord, I am willing to obey. You show me when, where, and how. God is going to make a way. It's not important that you know when to move or how to do it. God will never judge you for what you don't know. I don't have a problem with people who don't know. I have a problem with people who know and don't do it. Did you hear what I said? How do I know when God talks? When God talks, you'll know. Even if you are a donkey, even if you are blind or deaf. When he talks, you are going to know. The problem is not if you know or not. When he talks, are you willing to obey? That's the question. If you are honest, like Samuel, he's going to call you again and again and again, and he runs to the master. Did you call me? No. And God is going to, he knows that you are honest. He's going to keep calling until you see it. The problem is, after you hear it, are you going to obey in faith? That's the question. Next question. We all, except God, we all have problems. There is not one, the Bible says, not one, we all fall short. In fact, I am worried for the people who say they are okay. Because Eleanor says, the closer we get to Christ, the more we know that we are sinners. People that think they are okay, they are far from Christ. We all have problems. And let me say, you, calm people sometimes are more dangerous than angry people. Because they manipulate you smiling. Uh-huh. Those who are calm, you know what I'm talking about. They know how to twist you and manipulate you. And, oh, they are so nice. Oh, give me a break. So we all have problems. We all have problems. The question is not what problem you have, because problem sin is sin. The question is how do you get victory? How do you get victory? We fight Satan instead of inviting Christ, and we have no hope in our personal war with Satan, only if Christ fights for us. I can do all things in Christ. Therefore, our focus should not be so much that I calm down, the more I try to calm down, the more angry I am, and Satan knows my problem, and he attacks me there. My need is that I have Christ's presence so much into me that Satan has no room in my body. Satan and Christ don't live in the same apartment. When one comes, the other one leaves. So if you fill yourself with Christ, Satan is gone. That's the reason Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So what he means, he means that if you are filled with him, you can do it. As soon as you fall, you fall because you departed from him. How do you know that you didn't grow? Oh, it's easy to say, but you know, I've been doing that for five years. and I, How do you know that you make progress or not? I tell you how. The reason you think you don't grow is because you look to self. How do you know unless you look to self? Stop looking to self. Stop monitoring self. If you really look to Christ, you don't know how you are because you have no time to look to self. You look to Christ. Stop focusing on your change. God promised, and you need to rejoice in his promise. If he promised that he will give you victory, you don't need to understand how. Moreover, everything that happens every day is not by chance. It is God working. And so it's none of your business how and when you change. Your business is to daily seek his presence and his will. How he changes when, that's his business. You don't see how wind works. Nevertheless, the wind works. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain another one. Thief on the cross. Did he change his life? Did he prove his change? Did he do any good deeds? No. And Jesus promised him what? Heaven. And so you have the thief on the cross that is a sinner. He never did anything good, and he goes to heaven. That's not right. And I kill myself traveling and preaching, and I sacrifice, and you know. So let me explain. If somebody is righteous all his life, at the end he separates from Christ, he's lost. His righteousness is forgotten. If somebody is a sinner and then goes to Christ, he's saved. And then if tomorrow he departs from Christ, he's lost. And then next day he gets back to Christ, he's saved. Because Christ in you saves you. It's not what you do. So stop trying to do good. I'm not saying that we should not do good. But I'm saying that we have no power to do it alone. <clears throat> Basically, seek Christ every day. Because when he's in you, there is no way that you go against him or his will or his commandments. And so, if you are here, you are the thief on the cross, and the other one is here, is like uh, Mary, and the other one is here, is like uh, me, and the other one is here, 
is like uh, uh, Paul the Apostle or Mother Teresa or whoever. Who of them is good? None deserve heaven. Zero. Our good deeds are dirty rugs. Who is good among them? Is not where you are in the growth process. Is if you are in the process. Let me explain. If you call Jesus, he who calls the name of the Lord, and in, in, in Greek, he who keeps on calling the presence of the Lord, he who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call him today and you are here, and you call him tomorrow and you are here, and you call him next day and you are here, doesn't matter if Jesus comes and you are not perfect and you are, so many people have died and they will be in heaven and they are not perfect. Okay, so it doesn't matter if you are here or here or here and you are not perfect. If you keep connected to Jesus and if you are not perfect and you die tonight or Jesus comes tonight, is not what you have done and how perfect you are that recommends you for heaven, but is Jesus in you that makes you go to heaven. And there is no way for you to be lost. But if you don't have Jesus, you can be perfect, you are lost. So how do you change yourself? Stop monitoring, you don't need to know how. Okay, so let me explain something here. We talk a lot about righteousness by faith. And theoretically, we believe. Practically, we behave like pagans. What does it mean? Pagans sacrifice, do things to plead the gods to deserve favors. We try to do in order to feel good. That's paganism. By faith is that there is nothing you can do to deserve or to change. And what you do is not to deserve, but because Christ is in you. It's not to earn. You don't make apples to deserve to be an apple tree. You become an apple tree, and naturally, without effort, you make apples. You don't make good deeds to deserve to be a child of Christ. You become a child of Christ, and because Christ lives in you, naturally, when he's in you, you bear fruits. Does it make any sense? Fruits are a result of God's presence in you, are not an effort to deserve it. Let me explain something else, very stupid. I cannot go to church because I am a sinner. I need to change my life first. <laughs> it's like you say, I cannot go to the doctor because I am sick. I need to get well and then I go. What's wrong with you? That's the reason you go to the doctor, because you are sick. The, the, the righteous don't need Christ. The sinners do. You follow me? You cannot wait to be good because you'll never deserve to be good. That's in your mind because you think Pharisaic. You need to go to Christ and he makes you good. In fact, if you go to the doctor and there is a waiting line and you stay there two hours and you stay in line like everybody else and somebody comes from an emergency, an accident, a car accident, dying in coma, guess who goes first? He doesn't stay in line. The worse you are, the faster you get in. Do you follow me? Should you get worse to get in? No. What I am saying, I am saying... <laughs> I am saying that is not what we do that recommends us, but it is Christ in us that gives us any type of hope. Does it make any sense? Let me give you another example, stupid example. Let's suppose, I do give this example, I believe it's good. Let's suppose, let's suppose you are broke. You lost your house, you lost your school, you lost everything. You lost, you don't have shoes, your shoes are broken, you don't have clothes, whatever. You don't have food, okay. And let's suppose, you go to your neighbor or your brother or whoever that is a multi, 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 multi millionaire. Okay? And you say, I need work. I'm desperate. I, I lost my house, $400,000. I'm broke. I lost my job. I, my car is broken. I, I'm, I don't have food. I'm, I'm desperate. I, can, I, I am looking for a job and I don't even have a car to, look for, to go job hunting. And my shoes are broken and I am hungry. I am desperate. Okay, you go to your neighbor. And the neighbor said, hey, we got snow two days and two nights. Can you shovel my driveway? You work. You shovel the driveway and he says, I'm going to be uh, generous and give you $25 an hour. You work two hours. You get $50. You deserve it or is it a gift? You deserve it. Well, he could have paid you only 10 an hour, but he was generous, but you deserve it. Does it help you to solve your debt problem? No. It hardly helps you to get food for today. You follow me? Tomorrow you go again. 
And he says, well, we, we didn't have snow last night. Uh, go and, 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 and dust a little the house. And you work only one hour. And he still gives you $50. Uh, he says, yeah, 50 bucks. I'm a millionaire. I feel sorry for you. You deserve it or it's a gift? Both. Huh? First group, people who work for it. Second group, I do something, God does something. You follow me? And next day you go, and he says, hey, there is no snow. The house is dusted. I don't need your help. Say, please, I am desperate. He says, well, okay. You are a good neighbor. I enjoy talking. Sit down. Let's, let's just spend time together. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. And you talk together, and he likes you, and he says, you know what? I love you. I like you. You are a good neighbor. How much do you owe? 400000 to the house, uh, 70000 to my car, uh, uh, 30000 to my school. Uh, you, you follow me? He says, all together. You say, well, about 600000 He says, uh, I have $500 million. What if I give you $10 million? Is that good for you? And you say, uh, can you repeat again? <laughs> he says, well, okay, 15 millions. You say, what? He says, well, okay, I love you. You know what? I am old. I'm going to die tomorrow. I have $500 million. I'm going to give you $100 million. Is it a gift or you're for it? It's going to take you 100 lives to work for it. You follow me? You'll never be able to work for it. And who gives you that type of salary? Give me a break. And so he gives you the money. Is it a gift? Yes. Can you work for it? No. no. That's righteousness by faith. You follow me? And so stop trying to work for $500 million. Get to spend time with the owner. You understand what I'm saying? You cannot kill self. You just need to surrender daily. We are unable. We don't even understand what it means. You just need to give God permission to work. And you need to be so... This is what people don't hear. Relationship, relationship, relationship. You need to be so close to Christ. To know him. So when he works in you and the surgery hurts, you have peace because you know that he's in control. I'm going to go to the story that I started in the morning and I didn't finish because of the time. I told you about Jennifer Rothschild that lost her vision. You remember? Yes. How many of you heard the beginning of the story? Okay. You were listening. You didn't sleep. Good. And so, how do you sometimes die to self? I hate to say what I say, but the Bible says that the suffering of now works out for us. You remember the verse? What works that in us? That measure, that what works? The suffering. Let me give you another verse. The Bible says that the trials of today are not worthy to be compared with the glory that comes. Okay? So, when you go to Christ and you say, please work in me Christ character. Help me die to self. Help me surrender. That's the most difficult experience in the spiritual life. It's not to keep Sabbath. We should keep Sabbath, but that's not difficult. In fact, for lazy people, it's very easy. When you go to God and say, help me eat healthy, it may be a trial. Some people may be addicted to some type of foods, like I like ice cream, but I, I control myself. I'm, I can control myself. I don't have a problem to not eat ice cream. Or I don't care. You know, I can eat anything. I don't care. But some people depend on some foods. Some people have some, I don't know, anger problems. Some people controlling issues. It's difficult to do that. But eventually, maybe you get victory over that. But dying to self, that's the most difficult experience. And so saying that, when you ask God and say, Lord, I cannot do it. Please help me. And you ask his help every day. God allows you to go through whatever is necessary to kill self and to let him be in control. And the more you oppose, the more you suffer. So you better give up quick. <laughs> I mean it. And so let me explain. Jennifer Rothschild, if you read her book, she was a good lady, smart lady, good-looking lady, and she was a little in control proud of herself because of her job, because of her accomplishments, because of her being a public figure speaking on the radio, because of la 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 la. As we all think that we are somebody, and we are all nobody. That's the reason we have arguments in family, in the church, at work, because we are somebody. Nobodies have no arguments because they are nobody. Those who are really nobody, they don't even open their mouth. 
You follow me? We are very much somebody. And that's the reason we have arguments and suffering. And so, she wanted to be saved. And she was teaching others. But she didn't feel in her life what she should feel. And so she was praying. And she goes blind. And she prayed that God would heal her, and God didn't. And so she lost any hope, any faith. Oh, God doesn't answer my prayer. Oh, if he loves me, why would he allow this in my life? Oh, da, 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 oh, da, da. You know how we complain when we get no answer the way we see answer to our prayers. And so she becomes critical of God, critical of the church. Nobody came to visit me, the pastor. Critical of the husband, critical of everybody. Because people do that, blame others for their own problems. When somebody criticizes, they are those that have a problem. Because if they were holy, they would not dare to judge somebody else. They would rather pray for somebody else. Okay, so she starts judging, blaming. And her husband says, honey, doing that, you more and more depart from God. And you become bitter and critical and lose your faith. And her husband says, get your eyes off self. And realize that if God wanted you to be okay, you would have vision. And if God allowed it, whatever you do, you'll still be blind. And let God decide. We say in prayer, blah, 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 may your will be done, amen. As a formula, as a slogan. But we don't mean it. We really want him to do what we ask. This way we make ourselves the masters and make him the servant. Instead of saying, Lord, I do want that. Nevertheless, you know what I don't know. Please do whatever you want. I mean it. May your will be done and help me accept it joyfully. Peter is in prison. They want to execute him tomorrow. And he sleeps. He has no problem because if God wanted him delivered, he would be delivered. He sleeps in prison. Paul is in prison and he sings because if God wanted him delivered, he would be delivered. They knew that God is in control. And so, if God doesn't do the way I want, I lose my faith, I struggle. Let God be God. After you present the need, decide to trust in him and to rejoice and to say, thank you for not answering my prayer. Because that's an answer. Because we have in mind this life. But God looks to eternity. And if you have a cord that goes from here to Tennessee, a string that goes from here to Tennessee, or more, to Africa, okay. And you have nuts every 10 inches. A nut, 10 inches, a nut, uh, 10 inches. And you have 10,000 years between every two nuts. And the cord goes forever. It's eternity. It has no end. You focus those 10,000 years. Here is 1,000 years. Here is 100 years. And that's half of it is our life. And we focus on that, that. Hey, I want, I want everything here. I, I, I want this and I want that. And God says, are you blind? What's wrong with you? I want to give you that. And stop asking for this because I need you to learn patience and you don't learn it unless you suffer. And I need you to learn uh, trust and I need to learn faith and I need to learn to rejoice and I need to... So God allows it in this, that, whatever it takes so we can get that. And we forget that because we want this. You follow me? And so, in this case, when you say, God, I want to be saved, God says, okay, you ask for it. Let's work. And he gives whatever it takes to change, to save you. And so, now going to Jennifer. She was praying, Lord, please save me. Lord, please give me strength. Nothing happened. She got blind. Doesn't the Bible say, it's better for you to lose your eyes than lose eternal life? You follow me? I say it in my words, but you know the verse. And so, her husband says, stop being bitter. God allowed it for a purpose. You don't like it, I don't like it. But you need to learn to trust in your God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lead in your own understanding, period. So, don't put your eyes on your problem, your blindness, your whatever. Put your eyes on Christ. And if he wants to live, you live. If he wants to die, you die. But you die with him, you don't die alone. As Paul says, if I live, is Christ. If I die, it's a joy. Don't focus on your life. And so, her husband says, it's easy for you, you are not blind. He says, no, it's not easy for me. I start to cook now, you know. <laughs> After two, three weeks, a month, he says, you know what? You do nothing, and you think only about your trials. And that's not good. 
you need to start being active, you need to start serving. You need to take your eyes to your problem and start helping others. This is how you move on. She says, I cannot, I am blind. He says, yeah, 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 you need to start cooking, washing, you need to do it. I cannot, and yes, you can. Let's go together to the kitchen. And he says, okay, three steps straight, one to the right, open the door, in the right is the refrigerator. He says, I know my room even with the lights off, I know my house. Okay, then you can do it. And they go together. I cannot chop onion. I'm going to cut my fingers. Okay, this is how you do it. And he's helping her. A day, two days, three days, a month. And she finally starts functioning in the house again. She gets busy. She has no more time to think about her misery. And then he says, now it's time for you to go back to work. She says, what? Work? I'm blind. He says, yep. That's the reason you are unhappy. Because you stay home. You need to go back and serve others. He takes her more like pushing her. Today we go to work. Five steps to the elevator, push the lower button, go down, open the door, three steps to the stairs, go down the stairs, four step, four, four, you know, levels, five steps, open the door of the apartment building, 16 steps through the parking, one step up, sidewalk, that's the bus station, you ask people for bus number, whatever, when the bus comes, you go four stations, then get off the bus, five steps off the sidewalk, 22 steps through the parking, four up, office building, da 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 They go together first day to work. She's grumbling, blah, 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 blah. you don't love me, you don't care, you force me to go to work, I am blind, I am miserable, I have troubles in my life, da 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 Second day, again, he goes to her, with her, and they count the steps. Third day, again, fourth day, again, she's unhappy, oh, what a difficult life I have, I have to go to work and I am blind, da 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 After a week, she gets used. And she keeps going to work and she stops talking about her misery. And then he gives another step. He says, now, next week you go alone. She says, no, 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 you abandon me, you don't love me, no, 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 no. It's time for you to go alone. No, yes. She is unhappy again, da, da, da. another trial in my life. Uh, Monday, she goes alone and she counts the steps to the elevator and down and through the parking and to the bus station and off the bus station to the office building. Tuesday, she counts the steps. Wednesday, Thursday, the bus driver says, ma'am, you are the most happy, most blessed, most loved person I've seen in my life. She says, are you blind? Don't you see that I am blind? How can you say that I am the happiest? What is wrong with you? He says, ma'am, you don't know, do you? You are really blind. <laughs> she says, what to know? Every time you come, there is a military officer. Her husband was working in the army. There is a military officer walking behind you until you get in the bus. When you get in the bus, he gets in the car and follows the bus. When you get off the bus, he parks the car and goes behind you. When you get into the office building, he gets straight, salutes you, blows you a kiss, and then puts his hand and says, I love you. She says, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Can it be that we go through trials and we grumble and we complain and we are so blind that Jesus is right there in the boat? And we are so blind because we focus on problems. And he is there. He says, I'll never. Leave you, nor forsake you. I mean, I gave my son for you. Do you understand? And we are so focused on our problem instead of focusing on God. Why would God allow that? Because he knows that you need it. And if you learn the lesson, he may remove it, he may not. That's none of your problem. That's the problem of the daddy. You follow me? And so, let me give you another example. I was in Wisconsin. My kids took me to, Cas to, to Cascade Mountain. That's not Colorado, it's a joke, but anyway. Anyway, Cascade Mountain, and they were skiing, and they went on Black Diamond. Black Diamond in Wisconsin is like Bunny Hill in Colorado, but anyway. <laughs> they went to Black Diamond. I really went to Bunny Hill. You know, Black Diamond, Bunny Hill. And my kids, chicken, come with us. I said, no, I'm afraid. Come with us. No, last time I came, look what happened to my finger. No, I'm, I'm here. Oh, chicken. And my kids go and they jump and trees and speed. And uh, yeah, I go slow. I'm okay. I prefer to have all the bones in my body, okay, you know. <laughs> and so I get tired and I go and sit down and get myself a sandwich and, and, and an orange juice. And I sit down on the bench by a, a barrel that has fire inside. And I watch them coming. And I see the miracle of my life. A guy, round black glasses, he says here, blind skier. 
with two guys left and right. And they say, left, right, straight, left, a little left, more left, right, straight, right, right, left. And they say to him, don't worry, just keep, keep going straight. Now a little left, now straight again. And they scream, step away, blind skier, step away, make room, blind skier. I was like, that's a good joke. <laughs> so I went to him when they got down, and I did that. <laughs> and he didn't move. I said, do you see a little, some shadows? He says, no, born blind. But do you see a little? No, totally blind. I said, no, not possible. He says, yes. I said, how in the world do you have the courage to go on the black diamond? He says, well, I could not do it alone, not even on the bunny hill. But my friends are ski instructors, and they are neighbors, and the best friends I have. They would rather die themselves than let me die. Why don't we learn to trust our God as some others learn to trust their friends? That's because we don't know our God. That's the reason. How do you focus in prayer? One, two, three. Listen carefully. Number one, we cannot focus in prayer because we don't realize who we talk with. When you go to prayer, you need to do or say things that would help you realize that you go in the presence of the Most High, the Holy One, the God of the universe, that angels cover themselves in His presence. You don't just, oh, 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 amen. That's the reason in the Bible they talk about who God is before they ask something. Spend time realizing that you go into God's presence and you are there. You realize that you are in the presence of God. Number two, we go to prayer. Listen carefully. And we pray routine. If you pray the same prayer every day, what Jesus says, do not repeat the same. If you say the same prayer every day, after a while your mind doesn't need to think. You can think about soccer and pray the prayer because it's like poetry. You learned it. And so many people pray the same prayer. Prayer is not the poetry routine. It's the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. If I would tell my wife the same words every morning, I would sleep on the couch. <laughs> With my wife, we are totally open. We talk everything. Well, can I tell God everything? Yes. By the way, he knows everything. There is nothing hidden from your life. Whatever you did, he knew before you were born. The Bible, in fact, says that he knows you from far away, but in Greek, in Hebrew, it says that he knows your thoughts before they are formed. He knows what you want to think before you think it. Can you imagine that? So when you go to God and you are absolutely honest, well, what if I express my emotions? You should. God is able to handle your emotions. Can I express my frustrations? Yes. Job says, curse be the day when I was born. You remember? And God says he did nothing wrong. I'm not saying that you should curse or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. I am saying that if it's in your heart, it's better if you talk it with God than if you hide it and say, oh, Lord, everything is good. It's better if you talk it with God. Go to him just as you are. Don't be fake. You'll never experience change before you own where you are and who you are. And so, because we pray routine prayers, our mind goes off. But when we pray honest prayers, it doesn't go off. And number three, we pray generic. And that's the reason we have no reason to focus. God be with the poor, may the gospel be preached, da, 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 amen. Forgive my sins, uh-uh. The Bible is very specific. When it says supplications, the word says be specific. And the I says, unless we are specific, we cannot receive an answer, and we can never be in prayer. What does it mean? Instead of saying forgive my sins, you need to name it. Instead of saying thank you for everything, you need to name it. Thank you that I was late and I caught the plane. Thank you that I could not find the passport. Thank you that you need to be specific. Instead of being with the poor, you need to say Mary, my neighbor, lost her job. You follow me? Oh, God be with my church. No, 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 you really don't care about the church unless you take the church book and you go through the book and you take every family and every name and every mother and every father and every child and you pray for them just as you pray for your children. Doesn't it say that you need to love the neighbor as you love yourself? Well, when you do that, you focus. Your mind doesn't go off because you are busy. You follow me? But we don't want to do that many times because it takes time. Oh, how pastor do you spend three, three hours in prayer? Well, if I study the way I study and if I pray specific, it takes four, not three hours. You follow me? 
Your mind doesn't go off. When you are specific and you labor over each problem, over each neighbor, over each church department, over each issue, you labor. But if you pray quick, oh, you did your duty, but your mind is, you follow me? Now I'm gonna give you the fourth answer about that, and that's it, we are done. Do not expect to know how to pray unless you pray. You never learn swimming, reading books on swimming and seminars on swimming. You need to jump in the water. You never learn driving, reading books of driving. You do need to read the books, but eventually you need to get behind the wheel and drive. You cannot know prayer, listening to prayer seminars, unless you start increasing your prayer life. And if you pray 10 minutes every day, don't try to pray four hours every day because you don't know how to do it. It's like you lift five pounds and then you want to lift 200 pounds. It's going to kill you. So go from 10 minutes to 20 minutes and get closer to God. And as you get closer to him, he gets closer to you. And when you see him, how beautiful he is, you increase from 20 minutes after a month to half an hour. And as you get closer to him, he says, if you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. He gets closer to you. And then you say, wow, he's so wonderful. I love spending time. Time goes so fast with him. So you increase from half an hour to 45 minutes. And in half a year, you get to three hours. Don't just jump to three hours of prayer. You follow me? Go slow and grow because spiritual growth is like as children as flower grow. They grow slow, but they do grow. You follow me? You grow from the baby to the statue of fullness of Christ and it takes a life. What does it mean it takes a life? We rejoice baptism. Oh, it's so nice, we got baptized, they are saved. Oh, they are not saved, they are just baptized. He's like, oh, I gave, I gave birth to a baby. He's okay now. He can get a job and suit. <laughs> He's a baby. He needs to change the diaper. We baptize somebody and leave them alone. And they die. Babies die if we don't care for them. We want people baptized and we want people in heaven. But in between baptism and heaven is this sanctification part, the life that we need to go through. You follow me? That's what we don't like. We like baptism and we like heaven. But we don't have heaven before we go through this wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. This wilderness where we learn to trust the Lord. We learn to be patient. We learn to be humble. We learn to persist in prayer. We learn to know the Lord. We learn to trust the Lord. We learn. You follow me? And therefore, the part in the middle that we don't like, the part in the middle of your life is actually the best part part is like this, this is the angel on the Shekinah this is the other angel in the middle is the Shekinah glory this is the baptism this is the uh, second coming in the middle is what we hate hey that part the trials of every day that we hate that's where God actually is working on you and so then if you say oh brother I've been trying but I don't change hey don't worry about it you are in the process you are in the growth process you follow me I'm going to make an appeal to you. What is the benefit that you go to church every Sabbath and say your prayer every morning and every evening and keep Sabbath and return tight for those who do it faithfully? What is the benefit that you eat healthy and read the Bible three chapters a day if you don't really make a covenant that you are going to allow Christ to work in your life whatever he wants regardless how much it hurts? And you are going to make a decision, though you don't understand and you don't feel that you are going to trust him even if you die. And you are going to trust himself with your life. What's the benefit if you don't do that? Does it benefit you to just go through the routine? Then why should you say tomorrow? Shouldn't we, if the Holy Spirit calls on you today, shouldn't we make an, a, a, a decision today? And say, Lord, I want it. But I don't deserve it, and I cannot do it. But I give you permission. I know I'm going to expect trials. I know it's going to hurt, but I trust in you. Whatever you want, you have my permission. Please do it. Change me, kill me, resurrect me. You cannot. Benefit of resurrection if you don't first die. I'm talking about spiritual Resurrection. You follow me? You cannot produce before the seed go is buried in the ground. You follow me? Lord, if you want to kill me, kill me. If you want to give me pain, give me pain. I know you don't enjoy it, 
but you love me so much that you do whatever it takes to save me. I give you permission to do it. And you don't understand what is going on, but you do that again tomorrow morning. And say, Lord, you say tonight, wake me up in the morning that I don't start the day alone because alone I am not safe. Wake me up early. If you need to use cold water, use cold water. I don't care. Wake me up early. Help me start the day with you. When God is going to, if you mean it, he's going to wake you up actually. Try it. If you mean it and you plead with him, he's going to wake you up. When he wakes you up, don't study and pray in the bed. Bed smells sleep. <laughs> Brain says bed means sleep. Get away from the bed. Get a place of prayer. A place that is specifically dedicated to prayer. And you go there only when you pray. Get a corner that is your, your room. And you go there and say, Lord, I came to meet with you. And now I have my time with you. Spend time with him in prayer and study of the word. And say, Lord, please don't leave me alone because alone I am good of nothing. I make a mess. My family suffers because of me. I suffer because of me. The church suffers. Please be with me today. And then do that again tomorrow and do that again next day and do that again next day. And you'll see no change except trials. Because when you make that decision, Satan doesn't hate when you go to church. Satan doesn't care if you eat healthy. You should, but he doesn't care. Satan doesn't care if you keep Sabbath. You should, but he doesn't care. But when you call the presence of the Lord and say, please change me, Satan cares. So he's going to attack you. The more he attacks you, you should not give up. You should pray even more. Lord, I am in your hands. You fight for me. The more you do that, you may not see a change from today to tomorrow. But two years later, you look back and you'll say, God has been good to me. Why did I suffer in Sodom and I had no money? Looking back, he has been working on me. I was proud. I was stubborn. I didn't understand poor people because I had money. Now I understand poor people. I didn't have mercy on them. Now I do. Why did I suffer in Andrews? It was cold. I had no money. I was in school. I didn't, I didn't know how to pay tuition. Why did God allow me to suffer? Because I learned this and that. As I look back, I didn't die. I finished school debt-free. It was challenging and hard. I thought I would die when I was in Andrews. But I am alive. You see? And so as you look back two years later, you say, actually, he has been with me. And actually, he has taught me this and this and that lesson. And he's faithful and gracious. And he has blessed me more than I asked. You follow me? So don't think about tomorrow. Just surrender today. And tomorrow you surrender tomorrow. And as you look down the road, two years, three years later, you'll see that he is faithful. God calls you to do that. Don't, procl don't play games with the Holy Spirit. Just do it. God bless you. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to do something. Close your eyes. Each one alone. Take two minutes and talk to God about change. Give God permission to work in your life. And tell him that you trust that his works even if you don't understand and don't deserve because of him, not because of you. Because of his promise and his love and his power and his grace. And then I pray. Okay? Father in heaven, what a wonderful God. You gave Jesus and by giving Jesus you gave yourself. A God that sacrifices self for his servants. A God that loves us with a love that we will never, not even in heaven, fully understand. Thank you, Lord. We know that your promises are secure. We know that you are working with us even when we don't understand. You have patience with us. You have love for us. We know that you are able and you will finish what you started. And we don't understand how. But you can do it. So, Father, we surrender together now. And we pray that you take over and that you change us according to your plan, according to your will, and do whatever it takes that we may become more and more like Jesus and we may be used to be a light and a blessing and to allow you to use us. Father, please fulfill your plans in our lives and give us faith to trust in you and to keep our eyes on you and just believe that you will finish what you started.
Father, I pray for every single one here and those that will listen on the internet. You know every heart, you know every struggle, you know every need. Please work according to your grace and wisdom. And Father, help us to put you in the center of our life. We pray in Jesus' powerful, precious name. And we believe that you are already working. So in faith, Father, we rejoice. We praise you. We thank you. We cannot do it. We don't deserve it. But you are just wonderful. And we want, Father, to spend eternity praising you and thanking you. So, Father, thank you for everything. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.